Hey lovely freaks and welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host Amanda. And I'm Hannah. And if you're new here, hi, welcome. If you like things strange and unusual in true crime, you can go ahead and hit that subscribe or follow button. You can also follow us on social media. There's a link down below that will take you to our Instagram, at Lovely Freaks Podcast, Facebook, and all that jazz. And all that jazz. Okay, so today we are, I'm going to announce it again in case you didn't hear on the last one. We're only going to do one episode a month. I mean, one episode a month. One uh, episode a week, <laughs> every Friday in the summer. So get ready for that. That starts next week. So we're only going to have a Friday episode starting next week. And we're going to dive right in today. Go ahead and get this ball on the road because i got a lot of shit to cover. So today we're going to be talking about Andre Chicatello. Chicatello? Chicatello, not Chicatello. I always want to say Chicatello. I don't know why. Um, Andre Chicatello. He was a Russian serial killer, pretty awful human being. He was known as the Butcher of Rostov, the Red Ripper, and the Forest Strip Killer. So we're going to start with his life like we normally do, and then we're going to go on from there. I'm not going to mention all of the murders because he uh, killed 50-something people, so we'd be here forever, but I am going to give you all the information about this awful human being. So Andre was born October 16th in 1936. Uh, October 16th is my husband's birthday. That's weird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't realize that his birth, I didn't realize that he, this guy was born then. So yeah, October 16th, 1936. He was born in Ukraine during the Soviet Union, um, during the time that they had control over pretty much everything. So his mom and dad were laborers on a collective farm living pretty much in like a hut. They lived in like a shack area. They made no money for their work because a collective farm in Ukraine at the time, the Joseph Stalin was like taken over and everything. Yeah. Um, it meant that they would work and give all their crops and their animals and anything that they raised or anything like that, they would give it to... Um, like, they would give it to the government. So, they didn't have, like, any money or anything like that. Uh, they had little food, too. They had a little bit of land behind their house. And they would tell them, you know, like, if you get hungry, you could plant whatever you want behind your house. But the problem with that was the land was not really fertile. So, they mm-hmm. couldn't really grow anything. They basically starved his family and him. Um, I mean... Yeah, his family and and him, they were just hungry all the time. Their main source of food was actually bread. So, I don't think they had really any vegetables. Um, Like I said, they couldn't really grow anything. And anything that they did grow, I mean, they had to give it to the government. So, they, um, Andre also would have to eat. Like, he said that he would have to eat, like, tree bark and grass and stuff like that. Like, that's how he would kind of, like, survive, I guess, on the days that they didn't have bread or if they ran out or whatever the case may be. So, because of this, like, because of starvation and because of not growing properly from basically birth, um, he did have some brain in, uh... And, like... Not imperfections. Oh, my gosh. His brain development was... Yeah, lacking. I was going to say <laughs> malfunction. Malfunctions, yeah. Um, he also had water on his brain when he was born. So, 
I, I don't know how that happened, but yeah, he had something happen in, in, in the birthing process. Uh, millions of people died in Ukraine under Stalin's dictatorship. His mom and dad, um, it's said, told him his older brother. So they told him that he had an older brother. And they waited though. They waited for like years to tell him he had an older brother. He was yeah. he was like probably like six or seven when they told him this. They were like, Yeah, you had an older brother when he was four though, he got kidnapped because the neighbors were hungry. Like they basically just told Damn. him that his that his brother died of cannibalism, I guess. Um I don't know if that was true or not, but I thought that was really crazy. Like, they told him that. Yeah. When World War II began, his dad was forced to be in the Red Army, which was a name that they gave the army of, like, the farmers and lower class for the military. Like, they were called them the Red Army. They were the ones that, you know, weren't, didn't want to be soldiers, basically, mm -hmm. and were forced to. Um, his dad gets taken as prisoner of war from the Nazis and I read somewhere that um, his dad survived but they like the whole town thought he was a traitor like they thought the only reason he survived being a prisoner of war was like because he, he was a traitor yeah. no because like he like, gave them information and that's how he got away uh. yeah so throughout his the rest of his life um he kind of just has that stigma, I guess. People in the neighborhood kind of say that, you know, your dad's a traitor and all this other stuff. When World War II was going on, Nazis occupied most of Ukraine. And they would start fires, bomb buildings, rape women, kill people on the streets. Just, it was chaos. I mean, we've talked about World War II before when it came to, I think it was the case of uh, the girl who got locked in the ba basement, Elizabeth Fritz Fritzl. Yeah. And her dad lived through that as well. Um, so, yeah, it was just a really bad place. It's speculated that his mom was actually raped during this time because she became pregnant. And also, you know, his dad was a prisoner of war, so she wasn't yeah. there. Um, and some people even think, or I don't know, I couldn't figure out if he actually said this, like, before he died, or if people just speculate. I think it's just speculation that... Maybe his mom was raped, like, in front of him. Because Nazis didn't care. I mean, they would just come in a house. And it's yeah. not like they were going to be like, oh, get the child out. Like, yeah. they, don't, they don't give a shit. They're Nazis. They're not going to care. Yeah. So, Andre was a bedwetter. And he also had to share a bed with his mom. Um, I'm not really sure why. I don't know if they all shared one bed or whatever. So, when he would wet the bed, she would beat him, basically. Um, she would berate him. She would, you know, call him names and all this shit which is so stupid because you know they can't help it yeah in school he did good um he did get bullied a lot but despite that he graduated high school however at 17 and about to go into college he started noticing something about himself he started noticing that he could not get an erection hmm. um he just couldn't like he had erectile dysfunction, basically. He couldn't get an erection. He couldn't figure out how to get an erection. He was 17. So, I mean, most boys start that whole process when they're, you know, like when they're like 13, 14, somewhere in there. So, yeah, it was pretty crazy that he 
just realized this. He finally realized one day um, that he could get an erection or whatever by violence. And this happened when he learned um, this because his little sister, you know, I told you his mom was pregnant. Yeah. And he had a little sister from that, you know, pregnancy or whatever. And so his little sister had a friend over. She was 11. And he attacked her. I don't really know what happened. I couldn't ever figure out why he attacked her. I guess he was just mad or whatever. Mm -hmm. I can't get an erection. Damn it. So anyways, he just attacked her, started hitting her and all this stuff. And while she was struggling, trying to fight him off, you know, and all this, he started getting an erection. And he realized, oh, okay. So I get an erection when I, when there's violence involved, you know. That is so weird to think about that. Like that just there's a lot of people like that. Brain. Yeah. Um, he applied for college after this, but was denied. He goes he he goes on to go to a vocational school though. He gets a girlfriend and they start dating and they dated for like eighteen months. They tried to have sex a few times, but was you know he was dealing with his ED, his erectile dysfunction, and just couldn't make it happen. Couldn't make it happen, Gavin. So she decides to leave. Um, I guess she was just, you know, I love you, but I can't deal with not having no dick. I don't know. <laughs> she just left him. Um, after this, even though he was upset, he tries to do something else with his life and joins the army. So it's not like, to me, it's not like he, um, you know, realized, oh, I can get an erection at 17 by beating up someone mm-hmm. or having someone struggle to trying to get away from me and then that started his murder spree you know so maybe he thought maybe he was trying to fix it i don't know so he was in the army from 1957 to 1960 um i don't really know there wasn't really much about his army experience so i guess it wasn't really eventful or anything like that he moved back to the country after the army and that's where he met a woman. They started dating, but once again, he couldn't get it up. So, she actually was trying to help him, I guess you could say. She would ask her girlfriends, like, hey, is there anything that I could do for his erectile dysfunction, you know? And they actually were like, yeah, my mom, you know, does this, or my friend yeah. does this, or whatever. Um, but unfortunately, talk around town gets around, so... After she starts asking her girlfriends, other people find out. Then other people find out. It just gets all over town that he has ED. Yeah. Um, after this, he tried to hang himself because he was mm-hmm. so ashamed of it. And he was um, saved by his mom. I guess he tried to, sh- to hang himself in like a shed or something. But she saved him. After this, he decided to move out of the town that he was in. After a few years, he gets married to... Feod, I don't have, I don't know how to say her name. Feodosia, no idea. I don't know. <laughs> um, in 1963, so he moves out of that town where they're all talking about him. Pretty good idea, I think. And um, moves to a different town, and then he gets married to this woman. Um, Andre says that that their marriage was pretty much arranged because his sister wanted him to like find somebody, and she knew yeah. of this woman, you know. And um they got married two weeks after they met. Only two weeks. So <laughs> I thought that was pretty crazy. His wife, however, knew that he couldn't get 
um, an erection, but she didn't really care. She was like, it's fine, you know, I don't, I didn't really find out much about her. Um, but they did end up having two kids and, um, this is how they did it. So he would go to the next room and Mm -hmm. somehow get an erection and come and like a, I don't know, turkey baster and then go back in there and give it to her and she would insert it into her. And that's how they had two kids that way. Um, I don't know if it was a turkey baster. I'm just saying, but that's what I envisioned. (laughs) Um, so yeah, they had two kids, a boy and a girl. And in 1970, he becomes a teacher of a boarding school. So, apparently, this boarding school was um, pretty, like, ragged, I guess. I mean, boarding school means that the kids would live there. But this wasn't, like, a high-end boarding school by any means. Um, In 1973, he was at the pool house, like, where all the kids were swimming and all that. And he swam up to a 15-year-old girl. He started to grab her boobs and privates while she was struggling to, to get away from him. He comes in his swimming trunks. His second assault happens when he locks a girl in um, his classroom with him. And while sexually assaulting her, she was, like, struggling. And um, then he, you know, ejaculates again. So now he's starting to realize, okay, if I get more intense with it, I can come. Nobody said anything to him about this, by the way. Fellow teachers knew um, that he was, like, doing this, but nobody really said anything. Nobody told anybody. Of course. Yeah. No the school even gives anything. him... The school even gives him a job at night to, like, check on the... Like, go to the rooms and check and make sure all the kids are there, asleep. Yeah. Great idea. <laughs> That's so a nice great idea. Um, but this led to him being a peeping Tom in the girls dorm and after a year he finally got fired they finally I guess had too many complaints and they were like yeah you gotta get the fuck out like we can't like cover this up anymore I guess I don't know he then goes to a new school but quickly gets fired from there as well because um they find out he's like trying to molest boys and girls so they didn't put up with that shit for like any seconds He gives up on teaching life and at this point starts working for a factory. Now this factory that he starts working for, um, he delivers like goods around to different places. So he's constantly traveling and this is the job that he'll like have during his murders for, cause he's traveling all the time. So it kind of makes sense once you figure out what happens. You know, I was thinking, sorry to interrupt, but maybe... The reason he can't get an erection, because you said his mom, maybe he did see it. Yeah, that's that's one thing that some people have theorized, that maybe he um, couldn't get an erection because he, you know, maybe the first time he was introduced to sex was with his mom getting raped in a mm-hmm. violent way. So that could have been, like, something also that he, and there's no telling, she could have got raped, like, multiple times we have no idea i mean yeah the nazis could have come in there all the time and done could have whatever. brainwashed him thinking that that's the only thing that could turn him on yeah yeah so september 1978 andre moved to shinkti i think i said that right sorry russia if i said it wrong um this is where he committed his first documented murder So, he purchased another house in this town, and it was kind of like an older house, like, shitty 
house and yeah. I don't know what happened from the time he started working at the factory and got fired to this point but he bought the house specifically to rape girls in like to abduct girls take them there and rape so them so he was still he still had a house with his regular wife yeah then he had another house yeah he just had like this uh rape abandoned house? house rape house yeah. yeah basically a rape house so um December 22nd of 1978 he lured a nine-year-old girl named Yolana Zakodnova. Zak- I'm really bad with Russian last names. <laughs> I'm just going to say their first name, okay? Um, Yolana. She was nine years old, and he lured her to this house that he had bought. Um, when he brings her there, though he can't, like, get it up, you know? And this yeah. pisses him off because... <laughs> Probably in his mind. He's like, I went through all this trouble and bought this house and I can't even get hard. So whatever. Um, he decides to start choking her. Then he stabs her. And while stabbing her, that is when he realized that he is getting an erection. He stabbed her three times, strangled her, and then threw her body into the river. So that was when, you know, while stabbing her. And this happens a lot. Um, this is pretty much his M.O. through the whole thing. It gets worse. He gets, he amps it up way more towards the end. But, um, one of the things, one of the main things is that he would always, he would say that he would pretend like the knife was his penis while stabbing them. And then he would ejaculate and come. I love how he's going to kill people just because of an erection. Because of an erection. That's basically this guy. That is basically all this. Legit Um, sad. So, after the police found blood, so they found her body, and then they kind of trailed the blood back to where it came from, and it was all around this house that he had bought. Around this, you know. Yeah, the rape house. The the rape house. Um, Witnesses even said that they saw Andre with this little girl, like, at the bus station or something like that, talking to her. However, the police don't arrest him. Instead, they arrest someone else. Um, They arrest somebody else because it was a long thing. But I think this other guy that they arrested, like, they didn't really like him or something like that. And so, her blood type matched a, a spot of blood that they found on a jacket of his. But his wife has the same blood type as this little girl. So, it could have been his wife's blood. It could have been anybody's blood. He could have had, you know, anything. (laughs) So, they, that's how they did that. They matched it by the blood type. But, I mean, I could have the same blood type as you. So, that really doesn't, you know. So, anyways, this guy gets executed, though, for this murder. Uh, Yeah. Um, His second murder was in September 3rd, 1981. He murdered a 17-year-old girl named Larissa. Um, he sees her at the bus stop and asks if she wanted to go drink vodka in the woods. She said sure, and once they get into the woods, he tackles her to the ground, starts ripping off her clothes, and of course, he couldn't get an erection at this point. So, he decides to grab a handful of mud and like shove it in her mouth because she's screaming. And he does this quite a lot. There's mud always in the victim's mouths when they find them. He then beats her and strangles her. He then try, tears, tries to rip, well, he does rip um, her nipples off with his teeth. Yeah, so he, like, escalated quickly. Quickly, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 
so he rips her nipples off with his teeth and then eventually strangles her to death. So she's still alive whenever he was Rips doing that. Off. Yeah. Um, he also would come on the bodies and all these girls. Um, he would usually come on them or around them or something like that. Kind of remind me of B2K. But um, yeah. So and then he would kill them. But this was back in the 80s, the early 80s, 70s. And I don't think they really had like super forensics in Ukraine and Russia at the time. They didn't even have profiling until this case. This was the first case they ever brought in a profile for. Profiler for. Larissa was found um, the next day, however. Um, after, you know, he had murdered her. June 12th, 1982. This was his third victim. Her name was Labov. I believe that's how you say that. She was 13. He was leaving a bus stop when he noticed her walking home. He went, like, ahead of her and decided to, like, pop out of the bushes at her. And, um, he then snatched her, drug her body into the woods. He then takes all of her clothes again, and he starts stabbing her. Now, he said that during this murder, he would stab her and, like dry hump her at the same time and then to get an erection and then ejaculate in his pants like that was something that he like I said I said that you know the yeah. the knife was his penis I guess so he would never take off his clothes he would just I, and sometimes I guess he would like unzip his pants because there would be semen at the seam yeah. it was just really weird um but anyways after he was stabbing her and all that. This is the first murder where he took her eyes out. So there's a legend in Russia at this time that um, if you leave, if you, you, the eyeballs are the last thing to see what happens in your life. Yeah. So he was kind of afraid that if he left the eyes, that they would somehow get it and they would see like a picture of what she last saw. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So, he took the eyes for that reason is what he said. Oh, hold on. So, yeah, that's why he, he said that. So, he also, um, when they found her, she had 22 knife wounds to her head, neck, chest, and pelvic region. So, between July and September of 1982, he killed five more people between the ages of 9 and 18. This was when he started to develop a pattern. He would approach runaway adults, um, children, young, homeless people, um, or children that were homeless, at train stations or bus stations, because you know I said he traveled. Yeah. He would approach them, take them into the woods, and put mud in their mouth, like I said, and then start to stab them. Keep in mind, some of these people would be alive and they wouldn't die right away, like, while he was doing this. Mm -hmm. He would also take their eyes or dismember their victims. He would also leave their, like, he would disembowel them sometimes. He would leave their bowels, on the, like, outside of their body. Yeah. Um, and sometimes they were still alive for all this. And then he would finally either, they would die because they would bleed to death, or he would strangle them. Um, so this got pretty, like, terrifying for the town and this is why he was called like the Red Ripper and all this around in 
the Ukraine and stuff like that because, I mean, these were gruesome attacks murders, and yeah. gruesome murders. So, sometimes he would take different organs from them. He also would target both male and female um, kids. Not men, though. I guess because he knew that he couldn't overpower them. That was my thought process. So, there was no way for him to, you know, attack a man. But he would take male or female children and then women, usually. He did try to have sex with prostitutes, but when he wouldn't get an erection, he would get mad and kill them. So, I think that was a lot of his victims as far as maybe the women. Some of the women, not all of them, but some of the women were prostitutes that he would just kill because he would like, he'd be like, oh, well, everybody else is having sex with them. Let me try them. And he'd go get them, take them somewhere, try to have sex with them. And when he couldn't get it up, he just was like... Man, and he'd get pissed to kill him. I guess I don't. Know. I can't no erection. I kill you. Um, on December eleventh, nineteen eighty-two, he took a ten-year-old girl named Olga into a cornfield. With this murder, he did the same thing that he normally does. However, um, he decided he was gonna get a bit more intense. He ripped her open from chest from her chest. He ripped her open her chest, sorry, Damn. and took her lower bowels and uterus. He said at this point that he was trying to become a cannibal. Mm -hmm. He, like, tried it out, I guess. Um, he tried to eat some of the genitalia, the bowels, and other organs. I think he would, like, take the top lip of some of his victims yeah. and eat it or tongue or stuff like that. Um, he didn't he claims that he didn't enjoy it but he still did it i'm not really sure what the logic behind that was but okay by january 1983 they finally started investigating um the murders yeah that's right so they didn't investigate these really they just mm -hmm. kind of they were like in denial that they had a serial killer the the thing in in the soviet union the police like refused to believe that they had a serial killer because that was only something that happened in america yeah, that's what they believed. Because, I mean, we had... This was the 80s, so we had already... Had bitch, bunch, we already had yeah. a bunch. Like, so... But they were like, yeah, that's only something that happens, you know, in America. Yeah. That's not something that happens here. And I'm just like, oh, okay. So, disemboweled bodies on the streets is just, you know, a normal... It's an everyday thing. So, they established a team of 10 investigators based in Rostov. In March, a forensic analysis named Victor Burkov. The, he was the head of the, he headed the investigation. And they think Andre was an, like, after they did the investigation, they started thinking that he was an organ harvester because of the precise wounds where he had, like, cut them and all that. And the fact that this man obviously was careful and wasn't covered in blood because he's coming out of the woods and he has no blood on him. So they started thinking that they had organ harvesters or that it was like a satanic cult or something like that. They didn't think that this was like a murderer. They thought like, okay, if this is a murderer, he's got to be coming out of the woods covered in blood. Somebody's going to notice that, you know, yeah. so this has to be somebody that knows what they're doing. Um, someone, some people, like a bunch of different people started confessing to the crimes, but it's thought that the police kind of coerced them and tortured them into confessing. They were... They were like um, people that weren't really all there intelligently. 
So, I don't know if they were, like, special or they had Down syndrome or anything like that. I don't think so. I just think they were kind of slow people that they had picked up to try to, like, blame these murders on. And so, once they got them into interrogation rooms, because this was the Soviet Union. I mean, they don't fucking care. They'll break your kneecaps and call it a day and be like, yeah, he confessed. Um, But I think they eventually got off, but they did spend some time in prison and they got tortured into a confession. So, that's pretty fucked up. Um, he started killing more and more during this time, like during the investigations and all that. This is when he started cutting off the lips of his victims and then taking it home to eat it. He would also eat the tongues and the nipples as well, like I said. Um, I don't really know much about his wife. I know that towards the end she was in shock and all that he was doing this. I don't know if she let him cook and just he fried up a lip. I don't know how that works. Like, I don't know. She, fried up some nips i don't I know like he did all of that in the other house the rape house i mean yeah he i think he still had this house and i don't but know also, if there was electricity or anything how like did that she not house. know that he had another house then also why did like i'd be like why are you going to that house well she finds time? out later like when I'll, I'll probably say this eventually but she finds out like when she finds out all this she's like we don't even have sex like why would he be a sexual sadist like this yeah. It doesn't make any sense because we don't even have sex. Not that he was raping these people, but it has a sexual uh, agenda that's yeah. what's behind this. I feel so. like that's the only reason why he's doing all this. Yeah. So September 13th, 1984, two undercover detectives see him talking to a young woman at a bus station in Rostov. There was like undercover detectives everywhere because they were trying to catch this psycho or psychos if it was a satanic cult or whatever. They followed him all over the city for a long time because at the bus station, well, different bus stations too. He would go to like different bus stations and stuff. But he was rubbing his genitals on all the women. Not like out of his pants, but he would like rub up, like, you know, yeah. rub up against them with his penis. And they were like, you know, get the fuck away from me, you weirdo. So they finally decided to uh, confront him and then they arrest him. In his personal belongings, they find a seven-inch blade knife, rope, and a jar of Vaseline. A whole ass jar. They check his blood type. So, apparently, also, his um, employer at one of his places he worked at um, had made a complaint on him for stealing something. So, they were able to kind of like hold him on that charge anyways. And I guess they didn't... It was just like a complaint that was filed and they didn't catch it until... Um, they arrested him. So, they decided to check his blood type. Well, his blood type was, um, the semen left at the crime scene was type AB, and his blood type was type A. So, they automatically assumed that he couldn't be the killer because his blood type didn't match. Well, that's kind of true, but apparently... His saliva blood type was A, but his semen blood type was AB. It's something that's kind of rare, but it does happen with people. Like, they have their semen's different than their blood, I mean, than their saliva. Um, so, yeah, this, because of this, though, they let him go and, you know, they, they let him go for that. They did find him guilty for the theft, and he was able to, like, go to prison for a little bit, but he only stayed for three months. Um... But yeah, they, they let him go because his blood type didn't match and they didn't have any like real evidence to hold him there. Um, 
So he remained on the suspect list, though, this huge suspect list. I mean, it was massive that they had for all these murders, but, I mean, he was kind of, like, at the bottom. So he never really, he wasn't someone that they were looking at, like, somebody that had prior charges or nothing like that. Um, so he didn't kill for another year. And then in August 1st, 1985, or, yeah, almost a year, he um, goes to Moscow for a business trip. He's out of prison, you know, obviously. And then he meets a 18-year-old woman named Natalia. He meets her at the airport. So this is really weird that he meets her at the airport, and we'll get to that in a minute. He took her into the woods. He stabbed her 38 times, strangled her to death, and then, you know, that was pretty much it. That was all he did to her. The police decided to check the plane records because they were like, oh shit, this happened. At, this girl was at the airport, so we're going to find this fucker. Yeah. And um, they couldn't find anything at all, and that's because he had actually taken a train. He ended up at the airport just to find a victim, but he took a train, so there wasn't any record of him flying. So, that was pretty smart, I thought, because, yeah. you know. It's weird, though. Huh? It's weird Oh. he did that. <laughs> Um, smart, but... So, after this, when he gets caught, or when he gets caught, when he does this murder in Moscow and he gets away with it, he's thinking, oh shit, I am the man, because I can get away with anything. Because Moscow has, like, a pretty intense police force, and he's thinking, okay, well, this is it. Like, I I'm awesome. <laughs> At this point, in they the Soviet... They always get cocky. Yeah. The Soviet Union police decide to bring in a profiler at this point. This was the first time, like I said, this has ever happened. The profiler, he makes um, a, like, 50-something page or maybe 60-page long profile of this dude. And this is what he said in the profiler. So, this is pretty spot on. He said the killer was 40 to 50 years old, abused or experienced trauma as a child, he has a hard time flirting with women. However, I believe that he is married with children. He has an, um, he has erectile dysfunction, I believe, because of the semen left on the bodies and not rape occurring. He must travel for work and, um, he, he, he travels for work because this is where, you know, most of the murders are like spread out. So, I thought that was fucking crazy. Wow. That was pretty spot on. Um, He's good. Yeah. After this news comes out about serial killer, Andre almost... Um, I mean, after... Andre decides to stop killing for almost a year. I don't know why. I don't know if he was, like, gonna try to mess with them or whatever. But on August 1986... Um, they found an 18-year-old's body named Irene. Her body had been slit open from neck to genitals and one breast removed and her eyes cut out. So this was a pretty brutal attack. Um, he buried her in a shallow grave, but it was like really easy to find. And that was another thing he would do with his victims. Like he would just either cover them up by leaves or just leave them. Maybe put some branches over them. Maybe bury them with a little bit of dirt. I mean, he, he wasn't trying to not let the police find them, is my point. Yeah. Uh, and he didn't really take good care. Like, today, he would have been caught, like, forever ago. Because he left so much evidence. It was ridiculous. But, whatever. I think he was like, you know, I'll never get caught, so what's the point of Yeah. The next few victims that he has, though, um, he cuts their noses off while they're still alive. 
he would keep them alive while he was cutting off body parts because this was like a sexual release for him is what he said. After one of his murders, he returned to the train platform and that was when an undercover cop saw him with like grass stains on his clothes and he was like washing his face and his hands, which is really weird. Like, why would you wash your face at a train station? So the cop thinks that it's odd, but he can't like arrest him. So he just decides, um, he also saw that I think his finger was messed up or something like that. So he just decides to write a report on it. And, like, save it because, you know, it's an odd behavior. So, then... Oh, sorry. Ow, my back. Oh. Um. What was this? Oh, days later, they find the victim that, that he had... That victim. Um, they find a body. And the police officer mentioned his report. And he was like, hey, there was a guy that kind of looked suspicious. Yeah. And, um, the, everybody read his report and everything. So then they looked up, um, the name. I think he got his name. I think he might have went up to him and got his name or something. I don't know. Anyways, they looked on the suspect list and they saw that this was a guy they had on the suspect list. Andre. This time they decided to do surveillance on him. They noticed that he started talking to women on the train, then kids. And at this point, like, he was still doing the whole rubbing his genitals on the women thing and um so they were like okay we're gonna arrest this douchebag so they arrest him because they didn't want him to get another victim I guess um where was I what I say they arrested him they arrested him yeah so they have him for 10 days and they have 10 days to try and like figure out if he murdered him murdered these people because they just have circumstantial evidence yeah, at this point they gotta gather evidence yeah, they don't have anything. So, they're trying to, like, get a confession out of him. They're like, shit, we need a confession. That would be the ultimate thing here. So, they decide to bring in the guy that did the profile. The He's a psychologist, but he did the, the profile on him. And for some reason, he, like, sits down and he shows him the profile and he shows him the 60 page profile and he's like reading it and everything and then Andre starts crying because he's talking about like how he thinks he was raised and all this stuff Mm -hmm. and so he eventually confessed he confessed to the police that he was a child molester um and that he did commit these murders so yeah whatever he said must have triggered him well he was talking about like in the report, Something he was talking about how his childhood was awful and all this stuff. Then he started talking about his erectile dysfunction and how he couldn't perform and blah, 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 blah. So, yeah, two hours later, um, he just confessed to everything. And um, they decided uh, to arrest him. So, I'm trying to find out where it was. Where am I? After the the confession, what happened? Oh, okay. So after the that's where I was. Let me get there. Um, he gives them every name and every detail, and he points out where the murders happened. So he even knew details that weren't in the public. So that's how they knew that he wasn't just confessing to confess. Yeah. Um, a lot of the places no one had access to 
also. So, you know, he would tell them. They found most of the bodies right away, but I think some of the bodies they had not found. So, he confesses how he did it. Um, Andre stated he became adapt to avoiding the blood spurts from his victim's stabs. He would also say, I don't know, like he would say, you know, he just figured out a way to like keep from getting blood all over him. Yeah. He said he would also sit beside the victims until their heart stopped beating. He said, and I quote, the victim's cries, the blood, and the agony gave me relaxation and a certain pleasure. End quote. So on December, no, on November 3rd, Andre was formally charged with 53 murders. He confessed to, but he was convicted of only 52. Um, some people claim that there's more out there. Like maybe there's like 60 something out there. I mean, there's a lot more that could have, could have happened. So they found out in trial that he had borderline personality disorder and that he also had brain damage but they said that he wasn't crazy. Like, he was he was sane enough. sane enough to realize what he was doing was wrong. Because in court, they also put him in, like, this uh, cage, like a metal cage type thing in the middle of the courtroom, you know. And he would, like, start getting an erection during the times that they were talking about all this stuff. Then he would, like, strip his clothes off and, you know, yeah. wave his wee-wee around, and he would just act really, really crazy. Yeah. So, a lot of people were like, oh, well, he's crazy. Like, he needs to be in an insane yeah. asylum. But the once the psychologist got up there on trial on the stand, they were like, no, he's just, this is literally the only time we've ever seen him act like this. Hmm. So, obviously, he's just acting like this to act like this. Some people thought that the judge in the trial kind of was too harsh on him. I don't fucking know why. Because they were, like, saying that he would be like, why did you do this? And then he would go to answer him and he'd tell him to shut up or something like that. And I'm like, I mean, who gives a shit? I wouldn't care. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> he just killed innocent people, so whatever. Yeah. So, and like I said, his wife was devastated. The kids found out as well and they were devastated. Um, he also lied about when he went to prison the first time, you know, for three months. He lied to her about why he went. Um, never told her that he had been in trouble for child molestation when he was a teacher or nothing like that. So, on February 14th, 1994, Andre was taken to a soundproof room in this Nova show something, a long word, Russian word, prison. And he was executed with a single gunshot behind the ear, which is really odd. Um, then he was buried in an unmarked grave behind prison hmm. and that my friends is the story of the psycho andre chicatella chicatella yeah so yeah wow. he was shot in a soundproof room in the back of the head basically they ramp it up in soviet union i guess <laughs> they don't play um so he was arrested that didn't, and it didn't take very long for him like he didn't sit on death row for years you know what i mean so what do you think about his it's sad that just because he wanted an erection. Yeah. That's the whole And I really think that it has thing. to do with, um, like you said, I think maybe the Nazis probably probably had something to do with his childhood and the, the fact that his mom was raped or whatever by the Nazis. Yeah. Um, 
So yeah, I just think it's really crazy. And his crimes just escalated in 50-something murders. One of these days, we're going to talk about the chessboard killer. He's from Russia as well. And he said that Andre Ticatello was like his... Inspiration. Inspiration. I was going to say muse, but whatever. His inspiration. And he killed like 49 people. He wanted to kill more people than Andre, but he didn't make it um, before he got caught. But he would... uh, he yeah he would he would say that he was his inspiration but I don't know I just thought it was weird that he he pretty much did everything I mean he dismembered them he tried cannibalism he was just trying it all man he didn't hide the bodies really well which is weird to me Mm-mm. no he didn't I think he just didn't care and he was too cocky he was like Whatever. well he started not hiding the bodies from the very beginning though. Because he just threw that girl in the river and he held the blood from his house. He should have went to prison that time. I mean, he should have got charged with that murder for sure. And they just didn't want to charge him because they wanted to charge somebody else they didn't like, basically. Which is really fucked up, but... That guy died. That's really fucked up that that guy died. He died by a firing squad, which is awful because they don't, like, shoot you in the head. They just, like, shoot and if it hits you, it hits you. In the arm, the chest, the leg. It doesn't matter. And then you bleed to death. (laughs) Slowly. Um, So, yeah. Anywho, that is the story of the serial killer, Andre Chikatilo. So, if you guys like today's episode, please give us a like, thumbs up, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Also, you can go ahead and um, give us a review on iTunes or anywhere that you're listening to podcasts as a review. I heart anything like that. And follow us on Instagram, Facebook. Um, trying to think. I think that's it. Probably next week I'll be by myself. And then the next week I'll yeah. be by myself. So the next two weeks I'll be I'll be by myself. But it's cool. Um, maybe I'll do like a like a story, like a ghost story or something like that. So I can just read it off and I don't have to like have a conversation with myself. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Oh my god. He did that? Wow. So anyways... All right, guys. We'll we'll see you guys later. Bye. Bye.